We are going to be in Acts chapter 11 for the most part tonight. I know a lot of times we're jumping around in these studies about the life of the Apostle Paul, but this one uh, not so much. So if you want to navigate over to Acts chapter 11, that'd be great. Otherwise, the text will be on the screen for you to follow along with. I'm guessing most of us don't speak Greek. Anybody speak Greek? No? We all know a few Greek words from studying the Bible. Agape comes immediately to mind, as does koinonia and roku. No, I don't know what roku means. Another word you might know, or it might not be your first choice, but when I say it, you'll remember it. It's parakletos. It's the word Jesus used for God, the Holy Spirit, when he told his disciples he was leaving, but he would give them another parakletos, like himself, to be with them and with us, actually, as his disciples forever. A parakletos is an advocate or a counselor. It's a comforter or an intercessor, someone who comes to help us, usually but not always, through some difficulty. It can also be translated to come alongside. When a ship became disabled because of wreck or disrepair, another ship would be dispatched to come alongside the first one and accompany the disabled vessel to safe harbor. The second ship was called a parakletos. Now, we're studying the life of the Apostle Paul, and we've come chronologically to the time in which he was sought out by Barnabas to come help with the Gentile church in Antioch. Each movement in the story is a great living out of the idea of coming alongside. Barnabas comes alongside the church at Antioch. Uh, Then he comes alongside Paul. Then they both come alongside in Antioch and then to the believers in Jerusalem. And so if you want uh, an, an idea of what it is like to come alongside folks in ministry, this is a great time in Paul's life. One very important gauge of whether or not we are ministering for the Lord is how much or how little we are actually coming alongside his work in and through others. If God the Holy Spirit is the parakletos, and since he indwells us, how can we not be coming alongside others in his power? And so we start in Acts uh, Acts 11, excuse me, verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. Some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Now for the first few years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the believers were all Jews, Social customs and prejudices between Jews and non-Jews, all non-Jews are called Gentiles, kept the good news from spreading. All of that changed when Stephen, the first martyr of the church age, was stoned. Believers were scattered all over the Roman Empire, and it was to the advantage of the gospel. Uh, It says at first they preached to Jews only, and, and again, some of that was probably Uh, a natural prejudice, but also, you know, Jews uh, hung around with Jews and they didn't have that much dealing with Gentiles until you got farther and farther away from Jerusalem. 
The farther a Jew lived from Jerusalem, the more likely he was to have dealings with Gentiles. Arriving in Antioch, Cyprian and Cyrenian believers spoke to the Hellenists. Now, in this case, these are Greeks who had nothing to do with Judaism. Earlier in our studies of Paul, we talked about uh, Hebrews versus Hellenists when describing Jews. Some Jews were considered Hebrews because they maintained the Hebrew language and the old customs. Some were considered Hellenists because they liked to merge with Greek culture a little bit. They were more modern, more liberal, we would say. But here in our text, when it mentions Hellenists, we're talking about Greek Uh, Greeks. We're talking about Gentiles. Now, literally, it reads, in believing, they turn to the Lord. It's a simultaneous situation. God receives whoever will believe in him. While we're in this uh, area talking about the gospel going out to Jews, and I guess Jews thinking that, you know, the, the good news was really just for the nation of Israel there at first, God receives whoever will believe in him. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whatever you've done, God has redeemed you on the cross of Jesus Christ and he saves you in believing. He is the savior of all men, especially those who believe. And so the gospel is not restricted. Uh, You know, sometimes people who are not Christians, uh, who are not, uh, you know, uh, don't really believe in God so much uh, at all, uh, they think that Christianity is a Western religion, which is kind of funny uh, because here Antioch is a city in Turkey. Uh, you know, this, this all is taking place in the Middle East and in the Far East, actually, and uh, yet they think that Christianity is a relatively new Western religion uh, as opposed to Eastern religions and Islam and all of that. Uh, it's, it's just comical. Uh, but, uh, you know, w- w- Christianity is the... Uh, really universal religion, if you want to say that. Uh, You know, people think that Christianity began with Jesus Christ or with his followers, that Jesus was a a good but misguided teacher, and then his followers came along and developed a religion, I guess, because they couldn't wait to be martyred and put to death, Uh, you know. But uh, really, Christianity began uh, in the Garden of Eden. Uh, as in a sense. Actually, it was before that, but you, it's, you want to put a beginning on it. It was in the Garden of Eden with the first man and the first woman when they sinned and God promised that he would come in flesh, in human flesh, to die for the sins of the world and solve their sin issue. And so uh, Christianity is, uh, it predates all other ancient religions. It is not just one among many religious choices and it is not certainly a Western religion Uh, It is the manifestation of the grace of God in saving lost human beings. Now, in verse 22, then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. You know, they're meeting together as a church there in the temple precincts, and people are coming, uh, you know, coming and going from Jerusalem, and they say, hey, what do you guys think about what's going on in Antioch? What's going on in Antioch? Some of the believers from here, the Jews, got as far as Antioch, and they shared the gospel with Gentiles, and these guys got saved. And so uh, the church was interested in this, and so they sent Barnabas out to go as far as Antioch, because that was pretty far, and that's as far as the gospel had gone. When he came, he saw the grace of God. He was glad, and he encouraged them all with Uh, that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to 
the Lord. I guess you could ask the question, why send Barnabas? We can't know for sure how they arrived at their decision. It's probably a combination of many factors. <clears throat> we know that Barnabas was originally from Cyprus, so he would relate well to the fellows in Antioch sharing Christ with Gentiles. He was faithfully serving the church at Jerusalem, so he was uh, somebody that you could trust. And he was obviously available and willing to go. And so, uh, you know, I would like to think that the leadership there in Jerusalem made a spiritual decision and said, hey, we need to check that out. Let's figure out what's going on in Antioch. Um, This is all kind of new. Uh, This is before uh, Peter had his vision of going to the Gentiles and all of that. And so he said, hey, the best guy to send up there would be Barnabas to see what's happening and give us a good, solid report. Uh, a lot of factors go into when and where and how you are called to serve God in his church. Our part, your part, is to just stay busy serving, to be faithful in the service you do have, and just make yourself available. Now, it's been my experience over the years that, um, you know, well, God is as interested in the workman, maybe even more so, than he is in the work. We're Uh, interested in the work. We want to know what we're doing and what are we going to do next and why am I doing this and why am I not doing that and why did you pick him and not me and those kinds of things. Those are all natural uh, feelings we have, natural reactions we have, but uh, oftentimes God is working within us and upon us. He's interested in the workmen uh, and, uh, you know, if we wait on the Lord, we'll be Uh, ready to receive what the Lord has for us when we get to where he's sending us. If we get out ahead of the Lord, well, you just don't want to be out ahead of the Lord uh, without the empowering of the Holy Spirit Uh, because uh, life is rough enough. You don't need to make mistakes on top of the things that are going to be happening. And so uh, Barnabas was just a guy serving any, you know, we know that he met needs in the church. He's famous for selling some property when there was some financial needs in the fledgling church and giving money to, uh, towards that cause. And so he's just a guy that you could count on. And so be somebody who's faithful and that can be counted on. Uh, and over time, let God promote you uh, in his own way. Now, I like the idea here that Barnabas could see the grace of God. It was obvious to Barnabas that these Gentiles were genuinely saved. They had turned to God from wicked pagan idolatry uh, in their Greek culture. When the text says Barnabas encouraged them, the word so translated, it's a form of our word parakletos. And so Barnabas came and he interceded for them, he comforted them, he exhorted them, he came alongside them in order to help them grow in the Lord. He was able to parakletos because of three things we read in the text. First, it says Barnabas was a good man. Now, we always react to that because Jesus once said, there is no one good but God. And so we don't like to call people good because we feel like it's a rebuke. But in essence, since God only is truly good, when used of a man, this indicates that that man's goals and desires are in harmony with God's. It doesn't mean you have any inherent goodness or that you're better than the next guy. It's that, well, he's a good man in the sense that he has a godly mindset, he has a biblical worldview, his goals, his desires are the same as God's, they line up with God's. Now, God's goal and desire 
is to conform each and every one of you who are Christians into the image of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says that is what you are predestined for. Once you become a Christian, you are predestined to be conformed into the image of Christ. The Bible says it is a work that God has begun with you and that he will perform until you go to be with Jesus Christ. And so that's the goal for, that God has for every Christian is every day in small and large ways to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. You and I come alongside others when we interpret their lives and their circumstances and give them counsel that will further their being conformed. And so when I look at someone and when I'm talking to somebody and vice versa, what I'm trying to gauge in what's going on in their life is how God is conforming them into the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, what is he doing? What is he using? With what they're telling me, you know, how can I bring that into an alignment with God's word and God's purposes, keeping them within the boundaries that God has set so that he can continue to uh, hone their life uh, in that. And, um, you know, sometimes we have to be careful. It, it, it requires that we don't always tell people what they want to hear. Uh, frequently, if you're coming alongside somebody, you're going to be telling people what they don't want to hear. I joke on Sunday morning sometimes, but it's, it's not funny when you're counseling and you tell people that they're actually going to have to suffer more, that this is just the beginning of a great and lengthy suffering in their life, or that just because they, uh, you know, their marriage is falling apart and they finally came to Christ, it doesn't mean that their marriage is going to be saved. It, it's, there's a better chance that their marriage is going to be saved, uh, but it doesn't mean that everything is going to turn up uh, exactly the way they desire. And it's a kind of shocking to people, uh, you know, that, that we can't always put a silver lining on what they're going through. But we can be honest and straightforward. What I can say is that as you walk with the Lord through this in a godly way, you will become conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. You will be able to see the grace of God at work in your life uh, because God is interested in you as a person. Uh, and so that's, that's what it means to be a good man. Second, Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit, uh, or we like to say a person is spirit-filled and spirit-led. Now, being filled with the Holy Spirit, obviously it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Uh, those who are very conservative, they you know, interpret that to mean only that this person has mastered the Word of God, he's filled with the Word of God, and uh, you know that kind of a thing. Other people, when you tell them that somebody is filled with the Holy Spirit, they think that uh, at least every week on Sunday that person is in a mad, wild Pentecostal frenzy. Uh, you know, and, the, and manifesting the, the gifts and the abilities of the Holy Spirit. Uh, to me, it seems clear that uh, Barnabas was a spirit-led man. He depended on the spirit for his movements and for his life. Uh, he had given himself over to serving the Lord, uh, and uh, certainly he was knowledgeable in the word. We know that. And uh, he also was familiar with the gifts of the Spirit. In Acts 13, we're going to see that uh, he was part of the prayer meeting that 
uh, Paul was at in, in the church at Antioch where prophets uh, spoke over them and they were sent out on their missionary journey and those kinds of things. And so, so just know that uh, when you're dealing in the Christian realm, everybody has a little bit different idea of what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, uh, you know, all of us have uh, a little bit of the right answer. You know, the person who rejects some of the gifts of the Spirit and is just word-oriented, there's nothing wrong with being filled with the Word of God, is there? You know, not at all. Uh, The person that is into Pentecostal excesses, um, sometimes I think it's better to be excessive than to be dead. Uh, and, And you can always correct that person. Paul the Apostle, when he wrote to the Corinthians, he didn't say, quit doing all that stuff and just go to Bible college. No, he said, here's what you need to do. You need to do what you're doing in the right way. And so there's correction. And so all of us, if we sat down and interviewed one another, we'd find that we're on a different spectrum. We all have our own different idea of what it actually means to be spirit-filled or filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's a combination of all of those things, filled with the Word, led by the Spirit, open to His using us. Uh, There's a certain, I want to even use the word mysticism about it in, in the sense of God speaking to you uh, that bothers somebody that bothers some people when you say that God is speaking to you if you're talking about something other than reading the Bible but uh, just know that you know uh, we don't want to break fellowship with people over these different things and um, uh, we of course think we're right about what we believe but so does everybody else on that spectrum and uh, so Barnabas full of the Holy Spirit uh, one thing it does tell us is that we're not looking for, uh, we're looking for spiritual qualities in people. Uh, the kind of person you want to send to Antioch to check out a spiritual work isn't just the guy who is, um, you know, the, the best businessman or has the highest social status or is the biggest giver or any of those things. You want somebody who has a spiritual sensibility and can discern spiritual things. And then third, Barnabas was also full of faith. Now, that doesn't mean he had more faith than everybody else. It means that he allowed faith to fill him. He believed God was at work And he only wanted to discover God's plans and purposes, and then he wanted to follow along with them. Now, in Paracletos mode, we read of Barnabas in verse 25, then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. Now, he's at Antioch. He sees that things are going great, and he decides to go look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Uh, You remember Barnabas uh, earlier had been the one who believed Paul was uh, really saved when Paul had come back to Jerusalem and everybody was freaked out because the last time they saw him, he was killing Christians. No one believed he was a Christian. And Barnabas uh, went to him and he believed him and he brought him into the fellowship. And so now we're some time later, some several years later, and he leaves Antioch to go to Tarshish. This is all in the region of Syria and Cilicia. Tarshish is like the capital of Syria and Antioch is the capital of Cilicia. They're all in the same area. He goes uh, looking for him. We'd, in our modern Christian terms, say that God put Paul on Barnabas's heart. Uh, that's the easiest way I know of explaining that. I mean, there might be some 
reasons, but uh, Barnabas is there in Antioch, and you have to, I want to give these guys the spiritual benefit of the doubt, and as he prayed and sought the Lord, God said to him, I want you to go find Paul. Paul is the perfect guy for this ministry. It may sound mystical, it's not, it's just spiritual. In Paracletos mode, you're always thinking in terms of the spiritual resources at your disposal and how they may best be used for the Lord. Barnabas realized by the Spirit that Paul and Antioch would be a great match, and I, I don't know why that is. We've experienced quite a lot of this sort of thing over the years as I was meditating on this this week. Um, Jake is here tonight. He won't mind me talking about this, but when believers in Tulare were looking to establish a Calvary many years ago, almost 20 years ago, uh, we realized Pastor John Mayer was a great match for them. Why? I, I don't know. It just, we were involved and he, we knew him and it just, the Lord in the vernacular that we would use say, put it on our hearts and we prayed it through and John became the pastor of that church. In a similar way, many years later, this year to be exact, when John was leaving to pursue a new calling, we realized that Jacob was a great match for uh, Calvary Chapel of Tulare as we prayed about it and as the Spirit led and those kinds of things. I could tell similar stories of Calvary Chapel of the Sierra that we've had a lot to do with or Calvary Chapel of Eureka uh, that we've had to do with over the years. But uh, it, it, we love to, uh, to help. We love to come alongside other believers and other fellowships. And uh, it turns out it's evidence that there is a spiritual health about what we're doing. I say we because it involves all of us, even though the decisions aren't always made in a congregational sense. And so it's very normal, very healthy. It, there's nothing... Um, there's nothing, um, it's, it's, it's not on paper, I guess, is what I'm saying. There's no plan to do these things. There has to be a leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so people who are uncomfortable with that kind of language, that kind of talk, I don't know how else to explain it. Uh, nobody sits down and has a 20-year plan for Tulare and says, you know, for the first few years, we'll get this type of person and we'll match personality types and all of that. I mean, it's just spirit-led. Uh, it doesn't mean all of our decisions or all of a person's decisions have to be right or, uh, you know, that, that we don't sometimes, you know, hear wrongly. Um, even Paul the Apostle, he wanted to go places that God hadn't opened the door for. Uh, you know, so there's a relationship issue there, but it's all relational. And in our relationship with God, we sometimes feel led to do things and other times we don't. And that's a, 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 a big hurdle for us to get over. I, I with the Lord, in my, my way of dealing with this is there's a lot of things I would like to see happen or do or whatever. And I go to the Lord and I, it doesn't seem to be an open door. The Lord just says, no, we're not doing that right now. We're, this is what we're doing. In a church setting, a lot of times people come and say, how come we're not doing this? I don't know. That sounds great, but we're not doing that, are we? God hasn't led that. What's well, a good thing? Well, sure, it may be a good thing. It may be a great thing, but if it's not a led thing, I don't want to be involved with it because then it's all the energy of the flesh to keep it going and make it happen and all of that. And, so, and that's hard because a lot of times we have our own ideas and ideals. And believe me, I have mine in terms of, of different things that I would like to see happen. doesn't mean I'm disappointed. It just means that we wait on the Lord and uh, we're led. 
Now, commentators try to make a lot of the search Barnabas made for Paul in Tarshish as if Paul had retired from ministering and was sulking until Barnabas resurrected his career. There's a whole, as I've told you about the last three weeks, there's a whole vein of teaching and thinking that Paul was just devastated by failures in Damascus and in Jerusalem and had pretty much hung up, you know, uh, being a missionary and preaching Christ and that Barnabas rescues him and the son of encouragement goes and says, you're the, you know, you're the perfect guy for, for Antioch and that's what gets him on his first missionary journey. But what we've seen over in our studies is that Paul was missionizing all the time. And really think about it, if Paul had retired and was just living comfortably in Tarshish, it would have been a lot easier to find him. He could have just gone to Paul's tent shop and that's where he would have been hanging out. But it took time to find Paul because you never knew where Paul was going to be. He was always out doing the work of the Lord. And so he finally found him. Uh, and for his part, Paul is totally willing to come alongside the believers in Antioch. So he accompanies Barnabas back there. And for a solid year, the two of them discipled the believers by teaching them the word. And so this is all this is all just fantastic stuff. You know, people are getting saved out in the farther regions. The Gentiles are getting saved by the grace of God and Barnabas is sent up and he says, "Man, this is a work of God and I know, you know, God puts Paul on his heart and he goes looking for him. He can't find him because he's out ministering. He finally connects with him. He says, "Hey, you got to come to Antioch. You can't believe what's going on in Antioch." And Paul who uh, you know, was always one for uh, adventure in the Lord. He went with him and they just locked in for a year. It says here they were first called Christians in Antioch. The name Christians is variously translated as Christ's followers or Christ-like. Jews would never have given this name because Christ was the name of the Messiah. And they would certainly not want to call this sect that they didn't believe in after the name of their Messiah, even in a derogatory way, because no Jew would use the title Christ in a derogatory way. So this is certainly a title that Gentiles gave to them. It's been suggested that even there it was derogatory given by pagans to ridicule them, but that's not the way things were done in those days. Uh, disciples were called by the name of their leader. And these believers, they were just so full of grace. They were so overflowing with grace. They were like Jesus Christ. And people looked at them and they said, you are like your uh, leader. You are like Jesus Christ. And so they were Christ-like. They were Christian. By the way, I like the term Christian. Uh, It's been popular and fashionable over the last few years for people to call themselves Christ followers. And uh, it's, it's part of the, it's not really an emergent church thing. It's just, a, it's just a thing people are into. If you want to call yourself a Christ follower, I'm down with that. I understand that. But people, they're trying to distance themselves from just normal Christians who, you know, aren't really committed. But I'm really a Christ follower and stuff. And it all derives from the same word. And uh, they all have the same ringtone. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, Christian is something I like. They were called Christians first in Antioch, and that's great. 
Uh, verse 27, in those days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did, and they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Uh, These prophets would travel from place to place. They spoke forth the word of God, and they apparently also spoke uh, spoke predictively about future events. Agabus is a great study. He's like a prop prophet. He's always doing something dramatic. He's a throwback to the Old Testament. Later on, he's going to be the guy that is with Paul, and he takes off Paul's belt, and he wraps it around him, and he says, so shall the man be who goes down to Jerusalem. You know, he'll be bound. And Paul said, yeah, okay, thanks a lot. You know, and he goes anyway. Here it says he uh, showed by the Spirit there was going to be a great famine, which tells me that he acted this out somehow in an Ezekiel-type fashion. I don't know how, you know, maybe it's just, uh, I, I kind of like this drama approach to prophecy, you know, and so he talks about this famine. Uh, And he was going about prophesying a coming famine with no prompting other than by the Holy Spirit the Christians at Antioch determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. Uh, and so God the Holy Spirit, the Paracletos, prompted them to come alongside their Jewish brothers in need. And if I'm reading this right, I think I am, he prompted them before they had the need. And so these guys believed Agabus was a genuine prophet. He said there's a famine coming. There's no need to predict a famine that's already come, right? That's not a prophecy, do you understand? It's not a prophecy for me to say gas is going to be close to $5 a gallon this weekend. Well, it already is, you know. Uh, So this is a prophecy, and they said, well, we better take up a collection then for food for the churches in Jerusalem right now. So these people, they put their money where their mouth was, and they said, hey, if there's going to be a famine, we, we need to get ahead of this thing. So often I think in church today we would think, well, let's see if that pans out. And when there's a famine, we'll have a famine relief fund. Uh, And so this is very interesting. And this is a good news, bad news situation. The good news, Paul and Barnabas are going to show up in Jerusalem and say, hey, there's good news and bad news. Which do you want first? Well, the good news is we've given you money for food. The bad news is there's a severe famine coming. And so it's it's really, I think it's, it's almost comical, but it's serious. Now, in the context of what we're learning about being parakletos, I'd have to say that giving financially is an important way the Holy Spirit prompts us to come alongside. Only Paul and Barnabas could go, or at least they were the only ones who needed to go. When you're sending money to people who are going to experience a famine, you don't need to send a a whole troop of missionaries. Uh, who, if famine hits, you're going to have to feed. Uh, you just need to send enough guys to get down there with the money they need to buy food. It's an interesting way of looking at missions, too, uh, meeting the real needs that people have rather than uh, what you want to do. Barnabas, you'll recall, was super generous with his money. I mentioned before how he sold property when he found out that the church had needs. I think it freed him to come alongside in some of these remarkable ways. He said, well, I'm going to divest myself of various resources, give them to the work of the Lord so that I'm more available. Now, not everybody can do that. I'm just pointing out uh, that it was important. We all want to grow in the Lord. We all want to be those who come alongside. 
Being stingy works against those spiritual goals. If, if you want to be a paracletos, come alongside, you want to help, if you're a stingy, non-generous person, it's not going to help you achieve those goals. And so we take a look at our giving, at generosity in general, and make adjustments suggested by the Holy Spirit. Verse 25, or excuse me, Acts 12, 25, to finish this out. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. John, or we call him John Mark, to distinguish him from other Johns. He was Barnabas's cousin. The two men would come alongside him to further him in his ministry. Uh, I mean, these guys, they were, this is the big come alongside passage. I mean, coming alongside Antioch and Paul and Barnabas and Jerusalem and now John Mark, that's all these guys were about. A time is gonna come later when Paul couldn't hang with John Mark because the young man flaked out. He left them when things got tough. There's a big debate about whether Paul was wrong or not. He seemed, you know, that seems harsh. Uh, he's not coming alongside. My own approach is that it was John Mark who refused to come alongside and help them. So Paul didn't want him along. If you can't come alongside, don't come along. I mean, you know, it's, it's just part of the calling. Uh, Paul had a tough calling. Uh, you know, he never knew when he was going to be shipwrecked or robbed or stoned to death. Uh, and so he needed people along who were kind of seasoned. There's a, there's a, a place for discipleship uh, with people who are not seasoned, and then there's a place for seasoned veterans. And so he needed people he could count on, and John Mark wasn't somebody he could count on at that time. You can't come alongside if when you come, you leave. Perseverance and endurance are qualities of coming alongside. Uh, and so as we're talking about this and thinking, okay, I want to be somebody who comes alongside the ministry and help others, you're going to have to develop qualities of perseverance and endurance because ministry is always going to be hard. I don't know if that's a news flash for you or not, uh, but if it's easy, anybody can do it. Uh, the, uh, if, if it's difficult, then you need God to do it through you. You need to be filled with the Spirit. And so when I grow discouraged in ministry, when I get bummed out in ministry, when I you know, want to quit the ministry and all that, that's actually in one sense a good place to be if I will realize that that's all my flesh reacting to something and God says, now I wanna step in and fill you with my spirit and show you how you can really do this. And Will you just admit that you can't do this? This is you doing this. This person that wants to quit, this person that's throwing in the towel, this person that's sullen and crabby and you know, doesn't want to talk to anybody, that, that's you, Gene, that is you. Congratulations, you've looked at yourself in the mirror of the word of God. Now I want to step in and fill you with the spirit and we can accomplish something now that you know, is spiritual. And, and so often we don't press through past that moment. It's like we just give up. We, we decide, well, this, if it's, if this is too hard, so it must not be God's will. Well, man, if Paul had ever, ever thought that, where would we, where would, I don't know what the state of the church would be. I mean, you know, I, I could see Paul saying, you know, this getting stoned to death, this is rough. I'm kind of discouraged. <laughs> I just, maybe I should hang it up, you know. These shipwrecks, 
You know, most people don't survive shipwrecks. I've been in three of them. I, I, maybe I should, maybe God isn't calling me. No, the whole idea, Paul would be the one to the Thessalonians and say, hey, the devil is breaking up the road in front. I'm trying to get down the road and he's like sending bombs, you know, breaking up the road. This is to be expected. And so, man, if you're discouraged, if you're ever discouraged in the ministry, it's another revelation and you come and talk to me, I'm gonna tell you what took you so long. You're exactly where you need to be to understand that the ministry is a spirit-led, spirit-filled proposition, and this is you full of yourself, and God wants to knock that aside and and use you in a way that is really spirit-filled. And then if you quit, man, then, you know, then you're a quitter, and I'm going to make fun of you. No, that's, I'm just making that up. But do you understand what I'm saying? I know you do. Perseverance and endurance. Now, just as God has sent a parakletos to us in the form of the Holy Spirit, we ourselves need to be parakletos. Whenever, whether someone is like a damaged ship, drifting and listing, and really needs our help to come into harbor, or whether they're busy serving the Lord but could use our help, we need to stay always in this come alongside mode. Amen? All right, praise the Lord.